You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. We're in uh, Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible and want to turn there, I'll give you just a second to do that. This is, uh, I always say Philippians because that's how I've heard it growing up. I guess it could be Philippians. I mean, I mean, it could be. I don't know. Because this is uh, written to a bunch of Christians in an early church in a region, a town called Philippi. Maybe they're Philippians. I don't know. Philippians, Philippians, that doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that the message today is from this man named Paul who wrote a lot of letters. He actually had planted this church in, in Philippi and was writing back to them for encouragement. While he, by the way, is in prison, he writes this letter. Beginning verse 4 of chapter 1. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. This morning, may our time together bring much glory and praise to God. You guys can be seated. Awaken Church. Man, this is um, this. Is this. You know, you got to prepare yourself for the summer months when you're doing this thing. It's a church plan. It's a new work because it's like you start going and you get a little momentum, and then it's like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> and I was actually thinking about that, kind of looking at this idea that when, when I first knew that God had confirmed that I was supposed to make a move and plant a church, um, I had high hopes, like high hopes, and uh, I began to really like begin to dream and vision, and and I began to get confirmation from uh, mentors and people around me and my wife. That was like the the la- the, the confirmation that made it like legit. We're going to make a move and plant this church because without her and her confirmation, it was like okay, I know God's not speaking unless she's on board. So Shelly was like yes. So I began to have the high hopes about Awaken Church. So I had spent and this is like three years ago. Like this has been three years. In the, in the works for, for, for me, a little over three years. And so I began to like read everything I could and blogs and books and podcasts and everything about church planting. And everything was about, there's these two words. Everything was about these two words, launching large. And the whole idea was that, that a church planter would be sent out from a church with seven to ten families and they would begin to spend 
two to three years building an infrastructure and 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 uh, having small groups and making like out of that group would grow like two small groups and three small groups till it was till you had from those seven to ten families plus the church planter and his family if you had one or her family if she had one and those would grow into about 150 to 200 people and then you would launch a new church you would plant a church with about 200 people that's the whole idea and I was like oh this sounds great this is awesome the only thing is you don't do what's called a parachute plant which means you just drop into a, a community not knowing anybody and expect that to happen. This is, this is like people who start with a church supporting them and with seven to ten families to come along and do everything that my family was doing for the first year. And then, you know, now you guys, some of you guys in the room have definitely come along and joined in the team. So that's what I love about this thing. It's a team, it's a team thing. And so I began to like have these high hopes about, oh, we're launching large and 200 people. And there's not, there's hardly very many churches right now in Natchitoches, maybe two or three that have 200 people. It's like, that's, that's, psh. I was talking to a friend of mine named Tom, and Tom's like with this group that I'm, I'm connected with uh, called Healthy Growing Churches and Healthy Growing Leaders. And Tom's like, Steve, man, here's what I wish for you. This is, this is my, my prayer, and this is like maybe advice. You don't have to do what I say. But he's like, man, I wish you could just like spend three years just discipling a small group of people and then let the church plant come from that. And I'm like, well, this has kind of been like a hybrid, kind of like we, we kind of launched the church and a church plant, but I've been discipling a small group for almost about three years now total, although we've only been a year and a half launched as, a, as an official church. And then I got to think of this and go, well, this is not the same small group of people. That we, I mean, there's Quentin, <laughs> And everybody else is different than who we started with, right? It's like, and I was like, well, if you, this is kind of the process. So it's like it's roller coaster. It's like there's excitement and there's disappointment, excitement and disappointment. And last week it was like Mother's Day, and I was like, ooh, like last year at this time, my wife was the only mother connected with Awaken. This year we got several, but none of them were here. And I was like, oh, but there was a visitor. And I texted her the next time with Sarah, and, and Sarah, I hope you're watching. Uh, Sarah messaged, or I messaged her and said, you know, what I always do when I get somebody's connect card the first day, I connect, you know, send them a text and like, hey, this is Pastor Steve from Waking. Glad you came. I hope you felt welcome. She immediately replied and said, yes, and and my son wants to come back now, like next week. And then she messaged me last night. This is how I know that they're serious. She messaged me last night and said, hey, we won't be there for the next week or two, but we will be back. Most of the time, if people aren't going to come back, they don't bother telling the pastor. They just don't come back, right? Because I have like a lot of people that I'm like, I, I, I've tried to reach out and try to connect and say I missed you this week, and they're still not here. So I'm still like, well, I don't know. So I'm thankful for this. So it's like there's you know, disappointments, and then there's encouragement, and it's back and forth. High hopes. Um, is kind of where we go. You know what? I wouldn't have it any other way because this is, this is not the way Steve planned it to go down, but this is exactly the way God wanted it to happen and wants it to happen. And so I just keep defaulting to, okay, God, your will be done. And if, we're, if we are a small group of disciples who begin to make a difference in the community, awesome. If it grows into this huge church, Fantastic. We get we get our own building. Of course, I want to have our own building someday. Fantastic. But if that never happens, you know what? We're the church. We don't have to have a building. It would be cool to have one though. Have our own space and stuff. That would be that would be nice. But we are thankful for this space. And a quick shout out to Miss Kayla, the assistant manager, who is here today. For those who don't know that are watching on our video feed, um, 
the, the theater's closed for renovations. They're doing renovations in the, in the lobby concession area, and they've been closed for a week, and then it was to be closed for a few more days. But they allowed us to still come in and meet today, although all the regular things and things are off, and Miss Kayla came and unlocked the door and set us up. So shout out to her for doing that. Um, but when it comes to home, we've been talking about the home the last few weeks. Um, we all start out with high hopes of what home will be like. And when things don't go according to plan, what do you do? Just think about your life real quick. Real quick, give me some answers. What do you do when things don't go according to plan? Grab a hold of the cloak and hang on tight. <laughs> Grab a hold and hang on tight, baby. All right. Good. What else? Something else you do when things don't go according to plan? You can get discouraged. Yep. Yep, that happens. Frustrated. Frustrated. Yep. Change your plan. Change your plan. Right? Things don't go according to plan. You're discouraged and frustrated. You're like, maybe there needs to be a new plan. Hopefully you pray about it. I mean, I mean that's, you know, that would be my, my highest hope, is that we would be people who pray about it. When things don't go according to plan, that we just spend some time going, okay, God, I, I, I don't even know what to say. You know what? I'm just, I just need to hear from you and you know it. And just let God do that. So today we're wrapping up this series, Welcome Home. And we want you to feel at home here at Awaken. And we want you to discover that there is hope for your home. And that hope is it's, it's in Jesus. It's not in all the stuff that we do or can, can, can bring together or, or how big your church gets or how big your family gets or anything. It's in Jesus. So we're asking this question, what does a Jesus is the subject home look like? That's the question. If Jesus is the subject, what does that look like for our home? So today is all about the high hopes we have for our most important relationships, which reminds us of this word. Our word for the year, again, is be. And be at Awakened Church means more than to just take up space and be, uh, you know, be, be present. It means what? Somebody know? More like Jesus in every moment. And I actually... Up there, yeah. Did you read that or did you just okay? <laughs> oh, Ara, gotcha. Good job, man. You remembered like that. It was like it was up there after you said it. So awesome. Yeah, that's our that's our goal. We want to see how that looks in our home, more like Jesus in every moment. And that's a that's a work in process. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I don't have that figured out yet. I'm still working on it. Jesus is still working on me. But that's the goal. That's the plan. That's the desire. I want to be more like Jesus in every moment, and I want my home to be more like a home where Jesus is the subject in every moment. So our big idea for today is trusting Jesus gives birth to hope in our lives, in our relationships, and in our homes. Trusting Jesus gives birth to hope in our lives, our relationships, and in our homes. So the first thing that we have to do with this is we have to be clear with our expectations. We have to be clear with expectations. On a Saturday when all the business of the week is, is kind of done and stuff, which, you know, for me is different because I have certain th- work stuff I do on Saturday too. But it's like, Shelly might ask me, or she might say this phrase, are you going shopping with me? All right, I've been married, it'll be 29 years in the end of June. Pro tip for you guys. That's not a question. <laughs> That's an expectation. Do you want to go shopping with me is a question. Are you going shopping with me is an expectation. Yes, I'm going, yes. Do you want to? No. Are you? Yes. It's a diff- there's a difference, right? You're right? Like, you know, are you picking up the kids? Are you going to cook dinner? Uh, those are expectations. Just a little pro tip. Let you guys know. Expectations. So what happens in relationships when expectations aren't clear? Train wreck. 
Train wreck. <laughs> Pretty much. What happens at work if expectations aren't clear? Like, if, you, if it's not clear what your job is, but you're there at work, what happens? You, you get lost fast. Yeah, what else? You, get, you could get fired. I didn't know the expectations. Anything else? You can get in someone's way. Your job probably won't get done, or at least done right, right? So in this letter uh, to the Philippians, uh, to the followers of Jesus in Philippi, Paul, who wrote it, had some clear expectations. He says, here's the first expectation. I'm certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finished on the day Jesus returns. So he expects God is going to do God's stuff. He's at the, the first expectation. I expect God is going to show up and God is going to do what God does. That's what his first expectation here. And then he's like, there's some clear expectations what this means for the followers of Jesus. In verse 9, he says, I pray your love will overflow more and more, and you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. Expectation, love, expectation, growing, knowledge and understanding. And then in verse 11, he says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteousness, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus. Be more like Jesus. Expectation. The expectations are clear. So in every relationship... We have expectations, expectations of how you will be treated and how you will treat others. Every relationship has expectations to it. So when our expectations go unmet, there's friction. There's friction. There's, there's that problem. When expectations go unmet, there's that, that, that just it burns, like there's a problem here. The only way to avoid this friction is to be clear with our expectations. And the challenge is, is that we're wired differently in our relationships. Now, that, that's true of all of us. Every single one of us in, in this room, everybody watching uh, on, on, the, on the feed, is we're all wired differently. To give you an example, and this is a generalization, we may communicate this, this, this idea like, that w because women's intuition is a real thing. Women's intuition's a real deal. And it's, it's a challenge because men usually don't have it. That's why it's called women's intuition. Again, speaking generally here, it's called women's intuition. So a woman might intuitively understand something, and expectations in the relationship can be based on this thing. But the guy has no idea because he doesn't have the intuition. He has no idea what the expectation is because he doesn't have that intuition. Now, these are generalizations, but things like this happen all the time. That's why it's good to know. Are you going to the store with me? It's not a question. It's an expectation. This is so important for us if we're to have high hopes for our home because we have to have clear expectations. And if you're unclear about what's expected of you, ask. Ask. I mean, talk, you know, talk about on the job, but in our relationships and in our homes especially. If, you're, if it's unclear what's expected, ask. What do you expect here of me? You know, what's the expectation in this? So another challenge is we might not, um, we, what we might do is we might evolve into uh, making demands of each other, like making demands instead of uh, having good, clear communication. When you demand that someone change for your sake, you're literally attempting to bend the world to wrap around you, your, your desires, your motives, your, your, you know, your happiness. And this is self-centeredness, and God doesn't bless it. God doesn't bless that self-centeredness. We see things in our lives 
of our loved ones that we, we can see we're like, man, that really, that needs to change. It breaks my heart that, that my loved one, it might be, might be kids, it might be parents, could be spouse, could be, what, you know, could be a friend. We don't know, but we see things like, man, I know, I know that this, this is not the best for them. But we have to find a way to help them find out, help them find their way, and not demand it be done our way. Like, look, you need to change, and here's how you got to do it. No, you have to help them find their way to it. You can't force others to change. Now, you may be able to force behavior for a while. As a dad, I get that. For a while, I may be able to force and enforce certain behaviors. But when, you do, when you're forcing behavior, you're not really getting to the heart. And that's what all of us need to do is have our hearts touched. And if there's any change that needs to happen in our lives, it starts with the heart, not with the behavior. It's got to start with the heart, the why behind the what of what, what's going on here. Every relationship is unique, and it will bring its own unique expectations. So, but you use Philippians 1 as a guide, and here's what, what we should expect of each other. First of all, love through it all. I want your love to overflow more and more. Love through it all. We should be able to expect that in a relationship as, as Christ followers, and others should be able to expect that from us. A second thing we should expect of each other is to grow in knowledge and understanding, growing in knowing and understanding each other. In our homes, that's important. In, in a church setting, that's important to get to know and understand each other. And the third thing we should expect of each other is be more like Jesus in every moment, growing in that relationship with him that we become more like him in, in our relationships so it's it's important that we have have clear expectations and then be a safe environment be a safe environment be a safe place not just create a safe place but be a safe because that's what jesus was jesus was a safe place he was a safe environment there's a couple of stories that, that i love about jesus there's this woman at the well and it's in this place called Samaria. And Jesus is a Jew. Now there's an underlying through the New Testament, especially in the gospel story of Jesus, this underlying racial tension between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. There's this, and it's just, it's real. And if you look historically, you understand this is real. And Jesus goes through Samaria and he stops at this well in the middle of a day, a day, time of day when like legit normal, like people that's of good rapport don't come out to the well. And there's this woman who's there at that time of day because no one else is around. That's when she comes to get her water. Jesus sends his disciples, hey, go get some food. I'm going to sit down here at the well. And he turns to this lady and he says, woman, <laughs> which sounds kind of weird. When I say it translates, it's not, as, it's not as harsh as it sounds in, our, in English. But woman, give me a drink of water. She's like, Phew. okay, culturally, first of all, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And secondly, I'm a woman. And again, another cultural thing we totally don't understand in our culture today, but women did not speak to men in public that they were not related to. That was a huge no-no in, in this culture. And here she's like, how could you, a Jewish man, ask me for water? What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? What is this? And he's like, if you knew the water I had for you, you would never thirst again. Living water. She's like, oh, I want that water. He's like, okay, go get your husband and I'll give it to you. Well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. And he begins to tell her all about her life, not because he's a magician or a prophet like she thinks he is, because he's God. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. <laughs> you don't have a husband, <laughs> you have five. And actually, the man you're with now is not your husband. So she tried to turn this into, oh, I see you are a prophet. 
So let's have a religious debate. She like turns it like right then. Let's have a religious debate. And she's like, I'm not going to debate religion with you about where to worship. I want you to know I am him, the Messiah. And you're welcome here. He gave a safe place to this woman. He was a safe environment for this woman. There was a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. You guys probably know the song, right, about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know that, right? We need a rap version of that, don't we? So he climbed up in this tree. He was a, a, a tax collector. And a Jewish tax collector was employed by the Roman Empire. He worked for the government. He worked for the man. And he was, what he did was he got paid... But he was also allowed to collect taxes however he wanted to. And if your tax was $10, he might tax you $20, and he pockets 10 The empire didn't care. They actually said, you can do whatever you want to do, as long as we get what's owed to the empire. And Zacchaeus was well known for stuffing his pockets by overcharging people on their taxes. And Jesus has come to town, and the story is Zacchaeus is short of stature, so he climbs up in this tree, sycamore tree. And he climbs up in this tree so he can see and Jesus is like, Zacchaeus. This whole crowd, it's like a parade. It's like Mardi Gras or something. And he's like, Zacchaeus, come down, man. I'm going to go to your house and have dinner. Now, you didn't sit down and eat dinner with people that you weren't like, like getting to be intimate with. And Zacchaeus is like, what? And everybody else is like, what? Jesus was a safe environment for Zacchaeus. There's a woman brought to Jesus who've been caught in adultery. The whole story looks like a setup, like it's a setup. Like she's set up somehow. She's caught in this act of adultery, sexual relationship with somebody who's not her husband. And according to their law, the law of Moses, it's Old Testament, it's Deuteronomy, you can look it up, um, that she and the guy are supposed to be stoned to death. That's like taking rocks and throwing at them. Not, you know, stone, but stone, like stoned to death because that's what the law said. They brought her to Jesus as a setup and said, what do you say? Here's what the law says, Jesus, what do you say? Jesus says, you know what? Whoever has never sinned, cast the first stone. And the story is that one by one, starting with the oldest to the youngest, they just, all these religious leaders who had the stones were like, dropped them. Because they realized they've, they've all had sin. They've all sinned. Whoever's never sinned, cast the first stone. And she comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, where's, where's the condemners? Who condemns you? She says, nobody. He says, neither do I. Go sin no more. He was a safe environment to this woman. He tells stories like the prodigal son, this son who says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And the dad says, you're breaking my heart, but take it and go. And he goes and he spends it all on wild living, finds himself in the pit with the pigs. Trying, like, I wish I could eat what the pigs are eating. I'm so hungry. And he says, I'll go home and say, Dad, can I be a slave? I'm not worthy to be, to be your son. I, don't want to be, I can't be your son again. I've, I've done that road. I've wished you were dead and took my inheritance already. Just, can I be a slave in your household? That way at least i got a roof over my head and some food on my table. But just Jesus tells a story. He says the dad saw him coming. And he runs to him, wraps his arm around him, and welcomes him back. Because Jesus says, I'm a safe environment. This, this is the Father. This is the way of the Father, to be a safe place. Now, we can't be the saviors of our loved ones, but we can be a safe environment. We can't be their saviors, but we can be a safe environment. And how can you ensure your home is a safe place? Trust they can come to you and not be condemned and not be rejected. Whatever the whatever is. If they trust they can come to you and they're not going to be condemned, and they're not going to be rejected, that's when your home is a safe environment. I love this reality, Romans 5.8. 
puts it, for all of us. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Not when you got cleaned up. Not when you said, okay, I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be yours, Jesus. I want to be, I'm, I'm saved. No, he didn't wait till then to send Jesus. He sent Jesus while we were still sinners. So Paul lets the Philippians know in this letter that he's a safe place for them when he writes, whenever I pray, whenever I pray, I make all my requests for all of you with joy. He's letting them know. I'm in prison, but you know what? I'm a safe place. I'm a safe environment for you guys. And he says that he considers them a partner in the mission he's on. He's like, you guys, I'm not just on this mission by myself. You're partners with me in this mission. So what does being a safe place look like? It's when they know they can be comfortable enough to be their real self when they're with you. It looks like listening, not fixing. Listening, not fixing. That's what a safe place looks like. Because we want to engage the emotions by by really listening. Because when something's broken, we want to fix it, right? I mean, that's how we are, right? I mean... Come on, if you want to fix it when something's broken, smack somebody right now. No, just kidding. Don't do that. Sorry. You guys watching online, it was an inside joke from earlier. The guy said, Pastor Steve's like, I'll say smack somebody. Turn to your neighbor and smack him right now. You can't fix that. Tell him. <laughs> most of the time, that's what we want to do. But, they're, but most of the time, they're not looking to be fixed. They're looking for someone to listen. Can you just listen? And then along with listening comes confidentiality. A safe place is a place that's a com- place of confidentiality, not gossip. Because often we have to realize that when, when we have these things and somebody's telling us a story, and it's like, maybe it's juicy. But it's not our story to tell. It's not. It's not our story to tell. And when you tell someone else a story without permission, it breaks confidence and it damages relationships. And being a safe place looks like partnering, not judging. Partnering together, not judging. In other words, side with the relationship against the bad behavior. A lot of times what we want to do is go side with what we think is right against the person and their behavior. No, side with them. In other words, just something like, instead of going, what were you thinking? You ever said that to somebody? I mean, what were you thinking, man? Or maybe somebody said it to you. I've had people say it to me all the time. What were you thinking, man? I don't know. I don't know. Instead, say, you know, how, how can I help you with this? How can I help? Maybe it's just to be a listening ear. Or maybe it's just like, how can I help? And then begin to, tr- to find the places together. But face it together. That's what a safe place looks like. Be clear with the expectations. Be a safe environment. And then be one who trusts Jesus and shares the experience. Speaking of other people's stories, I asked permission to share a story from uh, a friend of ours named Madison. Most of y'all know Madison, Madison Farquhar. She was a big part of Awaken when we launched our services a year and a half ago. For the first year of Awaken as an as a actual church plant, she was a big part of our, our team. And um, actually, we did a podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, and she came on, and we talked about her story and stuff. And she talked about this part of last summer where she did an internship. And she went to Dallas for this internship. She rented an apartment for the summer. She, did, she moved everything. She moved her life there for the summer. And when she got there, it was like the first week, it was like an intro thing, orientation. And then the next week, they took them out to like do sales pitches. And it was supposed to be, she's supposed to be learning marketing and social media, public relations and marketing. And they, you, they were taking college students who were looking to get internship credit and were putting them in as their salespeople uh, for, for selling like hand cream 
in, a, in the stores. And she was like, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to do this. This is, And then she started to have a breakdown after doing this for, quite, for, for a little while. She was like, I can't do this. This is, this is not what I'm here for. This is not what I'm doing. I'm just in, in my, this is in my heart. I've never quit anything, and i got to quit this. And she said, I did. I quit. And for three days, I was broken. And I was just calling out to God, eating ice cream. I was with my, uh, I was with my sister and eating ice cream. And just calling out, just saying, God, I don't understand you. I think, I know, I prayed about it, that I was supposed to come to Dallas. But it wasn't, obviously wasn't for this. What was it for? And God began to show up. And within a couple of days, she had another internship, one that, that was absolutely perfect for her. And she spent the whole rest of the summer having the best summer ever. But it started with like this experience was just messed up. But she trusted Jesus. And I'm thankful that she shares that experience. The question for us is, do you trust Jesus? Is at work in the hard times? And how do you build that trust? Well, back to verse 6. Paul says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day Jesus returns. Paul says, I trust Jesus is at work. I trust Jesus. He's at work. He's in, he's in prison, by the way, when he's writing this. He said, I'm trusting Jesus is at work here. And I'm going to share the trust I, I have, that, that I'm experiencing. I'm going to share it with you. So the change needed in relationships usually needs to start with us. In our relationships, and it's like, man, something needs to change in this. It usually starts with right here, us. It's the change that happens when Jesus changes us. Because the Jesus in you makes the difference in your home. That's my experience. There's been a huge difference in my home since 29 years ago when Shelly and I started out. We didn't start out as pastors, as even as Christians following the way of Jesus. We started off as just a couple of young people in love and partying. But Jesus, the Jesus in you makes a difference in your home. There's nothing we can do to make people really change. Change comes when we let Jesus change us. That's when change comes. And it's hard, I know. <laughs> it's hard to say, God, I trust you in my relationships. Because we want to have control, right? Trust is difficult because of letting go of control. Like to truly trust God is to let go of control of something. But this is surrender. And God can be everything when you have nothing. God can be everything when you have nothing. And God isn't looking for you to be perfect. I know that's thrown around a lot. Uh, he's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be present. He, take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to be a perfect friend, a perfect spouse, a perfect kid, a perfect parent, a perfect pastor, a perfect music worship leader, a perfect whatever. You don't have to be perfect. Trust allows us to rest in the goodness of God. If we trust God isn't trying, wanting us to be perfect, we can rest in His goodness. That's what He wants for us. He wants us to rest in Him. Rest in His goodness. And you trust Jesus with your home and with your relationships because Jesus cares about the people you care about most more than you do. That's the truth. Those you care about the most, Jesus cares about them more than you do. That's why you can trust him with your relationships. Trusting Jesus gives birth to hope in our lives, in our relationships, and in our homes. As for a next step with this, and let's all take this and just ask this question of ourselves for this week. What would it look like to fully trust Jesus 
with your next important decision. I don't know what your decisions are that you have, you have to make, but what would it look like to trust Jesus with that? And what are the implications for my head and my heart? What are the implications for my hand? I mean, when I trust Jesus for whatever my next big decision is, how do I need to trust him with my thinking and my feeling? What is it that, that I might have to do to trust Jesus with this? Lord, we're trusting you with our, our decisions. And today, Lord, we're just kind of accepting the, the, the challenge to accept uh, now, Lord, to, to trust you with our next big decision. And I don't know what that is for everybody. I know a little bit of the people's stories in this room, and, and uh, I don't even know who's watching online. But, Lord, may we all in this very moment just, Lord, say, God, what, is it, what does it look like for me to trust you with this? And know that whatever hour this is, you're sufficient to meet it. That we can trust you with it. And Lord, that if we give you something that, that is hard for us to, get, to, to, to let go of because Lord, we have control of this, or maybe it's something that has a little bit of control over us. But Lord, if we give it to you, Lord, help us, help us lose that fear of what might happen. That you, that you might take it away. Because Lord, if you take it away, it's going to be for a good reason. We don't know what it is. It may even be something that hurts. But, Lord, we're going we're gonna to say, okay, God, we're going to trust you in this. We don't know how or why, but we're going to trust you. And someday in your own way, you'll redeem that. You'll give it back. Or you'll, you'll, you'll replace it with something even better that you have for us. But Lord, help us to trust you enough to let it go and let you have it so we can step fully into your grace and your mercy. Step fully into the just the overwhelming wave of love you have for us. Stop wrestling with all the all the ways it looks and the way it sounds and feels, but just know that you are there and you are here with us. So we thank you, Lord, that we can do that. That you would say to us the same way you said to Zacchaeus, hey, I want to come, I want to come meet with you. I want to come have dinner with you. The same way you would, you would see in us, Lord, some of those same sins. And you would say, you know what? Go and sin no more. I forgive you. The same way we could say, Lord, I've got all these issues and problems. And I know that someday that God will send one that will explain it. And you say to us, I am the Messiah. I am your explanation. The same way that we have in our own way, been the prodigal. Lord, maybe, we, maybe we can come to our senses as we ask ourselves these questions. And, and as we come to our senses, realize, hey, I can, my father's home. Go to my father's house. And we know you'll come running. The same God that we come running to is running after us. And you throw your arms around us and lavish us with a sloppy wet kiss that only a father could give. And we would say, thank you, God. Thank you. God, I need this. And I know that all of us gathered here probably in some level need to ask that question. What does it look like to trust you, God, with this next big important decision? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.